listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. As the intro says, this is indeed the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. But you may have noticed co-host Paige Wilson, who was battling allergies from the weather and thus struggling with being a little under the weather on the last podcast. Today, her voice is much deeper. <laughs> no, actually, actually, she is completely under the weather today. So this is Russell Stewart, the host of OGGN's HSE podcast, filling in for her. And I want to thank everyone for joining us on episode 233. Is that right, Mark? The 233rd episode? Yep, 233 episodes so far. And Russell, thanks for stepping in last minute. What the audience doesn't know is that you and I spent the last hour troubleshooting technology and, and come to find out it was something simple, but we fixed it. And folks, Paige is okay. She's just not, she's just a little sick and she'll be back. So she's getting better. It was so great that Russell could actually step in. And speaking of stepping in, we got a review. Excellent podcast by C.M. Williams from the UK. Recently stumbled across this podcast. Fantastic content. Ideal for helping to keep us up with current affairs within the industry. Thanks for doing everything that you do. So big shout out to uh, C.M. Williams for the review. If you'd like a big shout out, leave us a review. And it's time to get into the news story. So we got up first, Russell. Well, it says OTC and NAPE partner. They partner for Synergy in Energy. This is some kind of in-person conference? <laughs> yeah, there's this little conference called OTC, and there's another little conference called NAPE, and I'm, I'm being funny, people. So OTC, of course, is the Offshore Technology Conference. NAPE, of course, is the North American Prospect Expo, both of which were done virtually last year, 2020, because of the pandemic. And so it's kind of cool that not only are they coming back in person, but they actually decided to partner. Now, Russell, the thing I'm a little bit worried is typically NAEP, not NAEP, but typically OTC is done in the very beginning of May before the heat wave really takes hold of Houston. And Russell, they're doing this in August. We're going to be right in the heart of the heat. And I'm worried. So if anybody's listening, especially from like the North Sea area, please do not wear your three-piece wool suits when you come to OTC in August. It is just brutally hot. It can actually be dangerously hot if you're not used to it. But I do think it's cool that these two different conferences, and they are radically different, decide to partner. And, and basically, you can buy one pass and go to both of them. OTC is going to be August 16th and 19th, and the NAPES could be 18th to the 20th. And they're within you know 15 minutes of each other. But OTC is the largest offshore technology conference in the world. And you know what else, Russell? What's that? It's the third largest conference of any kind in the world. A lot of people don't know that. And so, you know, everybody and their brother-in-laws could be here. It's always a great bunch of fun. We'll be there. OGGN will be there probably doing some live podcasts from different vendor booths. But if you've never been to OTC, like I said, take heed of the heat. <laughs> but come join us in August here in Houston. It's a great time. But it will be at the uh, normal venue, which is NRG? Yeah, so they both will be at the normal place. So OTC is going to be at NRG, and then NAEP is going to be at the George R. Brown Convention Center. Which the other thing, if you've never been to NAEP, it's the only oil and gas conference I know of that everybody that's going there, or most everybody that's going there, is either they're going there to buy something or sell something. And literally hundreds of millions of dollars are exchanged during that week of the show. And so the energy is just different at NAEP. So I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we got a lot of stuff picking up on land, which we'll get to later. So this should be a really good year for both OTC and for NAEP. So everybody mark your calendars for August. Yep. What's next? 
Well, it says, actually, I saw this one. Chesapeake searches for next CEO after Lawler's abrupt exit. You have any insight into the abruptness part? Yes, but I can't go too deep on it here because it's all, <laughs> it's all hearsay. But, you know, Lawyer was a former executive at Anadarko Petroleum. Great guy. Uh, Carl Icahn actually picked him to head the company. Total different way of running things than, than Arby did, Arby McClendon, you know, he was really, lawyers really strong on driving costs down, slashing and extravagant spending. Unfortunately, had to do some layoffs, actually had to do a lot of layoffs. And they racked up a lot of debt before he stepped in. And then they had the bad timing of not only the downturn in 2014, 2015, but then the double black swan event of 2020. And they literally had to file bankruptcy. And so they're coming out of bankruptcy, a much smaller company. And this is typically, if, if you understand how this sort of stuff works, a CEO is not just a CEO. You have CEOs that specializing in growing companies. You have CEOs in specializing in retaining customers and lowering costs, increase efficiencies. You have CEOs that are really good at pulling companies out of bankruptcy. So Lawyer did a good job and he's left. And now we're looking for, or not we are, but Chesapeake's looking for this next CEO. But you know, it's only been three months out of bankruptcy. I think I know who they're picking. I, of course, can't say yet, but you know, I think the search has already been completed. But you know, keeping our eye on Chesapeake, you know, they've laid off a lot of people in the last couple of years, almost 90% of their workforce. And what should happen once they have a new leader in place is they should start hiring again. Things should start picking back up because they managed to come out of bankruptcy in a pretty good place. Well, that's good news for them, and that's good news for the industry. Yeah, it is. Okay, What's so next. Well, this next one. Actually, it looks to me like it's a little bit different. We talked about this, or you and Paige talked about it on the previous episode, and that has to do with developed, drilled, but uncompleted wells. So this one says U.S. operators working down their DUC backlog. What's the scoop on this? Yeah, so there's basically a little bit over 7,000 wells in the U.S. on land that have been drilled but have not been completed. And if you don't understand the difference, when you drill a well, it actually doesn't produce much of anything other than water, <laughs> right? right. And it, and you're not right. supposed to be producing anything, right? Just what comes out of the hole. And then once they get everything set, once the drilling's been completed and, and the engineers pass off the inspection, then they complete it. And the completion is the part where you make sure you can you can get exactly what you're trying to get out of the well, whether it's gas or oil. Now, of course, you're going to get water and sand no matter what. But the completion is when the well goes from all the hardware and people to actually drill the well to the hardware it takes to produce the hydrocarbons so they can put it on the market. So it's going from spending money to making money, if you want to think about it that way. And we had this huge backlog of, of drilled but uncompleted wells because there was no demand for hydrocarbons. So why would you spend money completing the well to go in production in 2020 when you couldn't make any money at it? The cool thing is crude's been above $60 most of this year. It's steady. And so now the oversupply has shrunk dramatically. And now companies are going back in and taking these wells that were drilled but never completed and completed them in anticipation for going into production and making some money. So this is actually a very good thing for the industry. This is another sign that we're a sign that we're getting back to where we need to be. Now, we're not out of it completely yet. There's still some things that could happen that could hurt hurt the industry as a whole, one of which would be actually be high crude prices. If we have some type of issue happen in the Middle East or in Russia, you know, where there's military action if somebody decides to close the Straits of Gibraltar to limit the Russian fleet from moving around, that's going to drive crude prices instantly over $100 a barrel. And that's actually not good for the industry because what will happen is once we hit that big a number is especially here in the U.S., all these drilled but uncompleted wells will be completed 
all these operators will go in production because you're making a hundred dollars a barrel. And what's going to happen is we're going to flood the market before the global demand is back. And if that happens, it will not take long before the, the market's oversaturated. We have too much hydrocarbons on the market and we'll be back to, you know, $7 a barrel, which is what we don't want to have happen. But this article is showing exactly what's happened. There's some good data in here. We're headed in the right direction. It's good for everybody in the industry. Let's just hope that we can have a nice steady growth in crude prices and with no big jump going up. Well, definitely. I think you said on the last podcast, really, if, if we could get stay within the, what, $70, $75, $80 a barrel range, we'd be in good shape? Yeah, if we could just stay at $80 or below. And I, I know that sounds backwards, but trust me, it's not. Now, once things get back to normal, which is going to be another year or so, then we can start looking at ramping up production. But you know, when OPEC and Russia agreed not to go up in production, that they see the same stuff that we do. And you know, as much as sometimes politically I have an issue with both Russia and, and OPEC, they understand the industry. They understand the fluctuation of the industry. So they're doing the right thing. And we just have to make sure that we do the right thing and let's keep production in step with consumption. Absolutely. Okay, so this next headline, energy companies join Amazon and Google in time top 100 list. Who is it and why? So, Russell, I've known you for a very long time. Russell's actually the chairman of the API Houston chapter. I sit on the board. I never in a million years, Russell, thought I'd ever hear that come out of your mouth. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't either. That's why I said, I said that's why I said, who are the energy companies? And that's what my, that's why I said, and why? <laughs> so this is a really interesting article. This is Time Magazine, their hundred top hundred most influential companies list. And both Equinor and BP made it. And it's really interesting. So Equinor, which is the former stat oil, it's going to take me another decade to remember to call them Equinor. Actually, took was awarded a place in the leadership category, which includes companies like Apple, Nike, Johnson and Johnson, and then BP was given award in the Titans category, which includes Amazon, Google, and General Motors. And basically, these two companies have done a really good job positioning themselves for the energy transition. And I'm not going down that route, but just bear with me, people. So. Time Magazine has actually recognized the work they, they took and, and given them an award. And what's cool about this is, as far as I know, I've never seen a major oil and gas company even make it into the list for anything. And so it's kind of interesting that it took a double black swan event. It took a global pandemic. It took the world wanting to move toward a more low carbon future. And it took a couple of companies to realize that and start changing what they're doing as far as lines of business. And they actually made the Times top 100 most influential companies list. Regardless of what I think about politics and everything else, I just think it's cool that both Equinor and BP are in the same bucket as Nike and Apple and Google. So, you know, hats off Equinor and BP. Y'all did a really good job. Congratulations. Well, so that brings us to probably a company that would never make Time 100 top list, good old Exxon. And Exxon rebounds to first profit since 2019 on crude surge. Yeah, isn't that awesome that that they're back to making money? And you're right. If Exxon ever did make the Time top 100, it's probably because Exxon decided it wanted to buy Time magazine. Well, despite what people may think about it, you know, and I, I'm not here to bury them or praise them, but but this is really good news for shareholders, especially retirees who are dependent on dividend income. Yeah, 100%. And people, I know we have a bunch of listeners from Exxon. I love y'all to death. I've said this for, for 20 years, and I'll say it for another 20 years. I believe ExxonMobil is the very best engineering and project management company on the planet. If you have any large, complex, financially 
large financial projects and you want somebody to do it better than anybody else, Exxon would be my first choice every single time. And it was interesting to watch Exxon's approach to what happened in 2020 versus some of the other super majors like BP and Shell and Total and, and even Chevron. And so what Exxon did is actually, instead of cutting payouts, they borrowed money so they could keep paying their dividends. Now they need to pay that money back, but they can. And not only they can, it's actually be relatively easy for them. So they're going to basically buy back debt. At the same time, they're starting to make money so they can start investing in, in projects around the world. And if you get a dividend from ExxonMobil stock, you never quit getting a dividend. And now that dividend's going to actually start going up. So if you think about it from a shareholder value point of view, very well played Exxon. While all your competitors were cutting dividends and you decided to keep dividends. Now, your competitors did that at the same time they were laying people off and cutting overhead, which Exxon also did. But Exxon actually borrowed money knowing that in the very near future, they could pay that money back. And when they borrowed that money, the interest rates were historically low. So this is ExxonMobil flexing its financial muscles, and it looks like they pulled it off. It looks like this gives give them a competitive advantage, especially compared to their, their competitions. Now, one of the things that Exxon's having to deal with is active investors that are anti-oil and gas, even though nobody else will say it but me. And so you know, Exxon's facing some some fights in the boardroom around the way they're planned for the future. So if you look at Exxon stock, it's performing better than all the other super majors last time I checked, which was like two days ago, well ahead of Chevron, well ahead of everybody else. So now it's placing Exxon above them financially and it's going to help Exxon grow. You know, Russell, at one point, Exxon was worth almost $450 billion and they lost a lot of that. Oh, they were number one. Yeah. But I am still firmly convinced that in my lifetime, Exxon will hit a trillion dollars in, in, in value, right? I think Exxon, Amazon, and you know maybe Tesla will be the few trillion dollar companies out there. But you know, once again, this is Exxon showing how it made a decision last year that looked like a bad decision, and it turned out to be the right decision for Exxon and its employees and its shareholders. Well, I agree with you 100% about their engineering expertise. As a matter of fact, just two or three weeks ago, I actually listened to a presentation from an engineer, and he was kind of giving some of his history. And, man, some of the stuff they have pulled off in some of these huge oil fields that they developed is just absolutely incredible, and I don't think anybody else could have done it. And it's it's really cool stuff, too. Like, so a lot of people don't know this. So you want to guess who invented the lithium-ion battery? It was Exxon. Why? Because they operate in the middle of nowhere. And you know what else they invented? How to generate solar electricity very efficiently, right? Solar cells have been around for a while, but Exxon's one of the ones that actually did the research and development to increase the efficiency of the solar cells. So how much, what percentage of sunlight you actually turn electricity. Once again, Exxon did that because you operate in the middle of nowhere. And when you operate in the middle of nowhere and you need power, sometimes solar and a good battery pack is, is a good choice to make. So things like their algae research they're doing right now, where they're basically engineering algae to live and produce water and actually produce hydrocarbons. I mean, so Exxon's not just a company that is an oil and gas company. Their research and development is some of the best in the world. You look at malaria, Exxon spent more money fight malaria than any government or non-government agency in the world. And when malaria gets cured, and it will, it will be because of Exxon. But of course, nobody knows that. Well, they need to know it. So that's that's why you're listening to this show. I tell you what, shareholders need to not ignore those proxy things they get in the mail, and they need to try to make sure they get some of those anti-oil and gas people off of the board. 
hundred percent agreed. You know, and if you look at how some of these some of these organizations work, they're not trying to help. What they're trying to do is take contr- enough control of a public company so they get their political agenda on the forefront. Well, that's not the best thing for the company, all right? And you don't ever want that to happen. One way or the other, regardless of what political side you're on, the company has an obligation to its employees and shareholders. And by fulfilling that obligation, they can still do it environmentally responsibly. What you don't want to have happen is somebody that has no idea how to run an oil company run an oil company. That's when people get hurt. That's when you have environmental catastrophes. That's when you destroy shareholder value. And to your point, Russell, when you get that little thing in the mail, open it up, read it, act on it, right? We're at the point in 2021 where you can't just expect somebody else to take care of it for you. You need to make an action and you need to make sure that you vote for the right people to help run these companies. That's right. We can't be passive anymore. Because uh, the, the other side, they're definitely <laughs> very aggressive. Well, to follow up on that, here's another headline, Chevron Post bumper cash flow. Yo, Chevron. I love Chevron. So Chevron posted a $3.4 billion first quarter cash flow. <laughs> That's a lot of cash, $3.4 billion in three months, which actually more than enough to cover the dividend, just like Exxon, Chevron is still making sure they're paying the dividends. And then, you know, Chevron had backed out of some projects that were expensive and complex to save some of that money. And that caused a bit of a drop last year in their shares, along with the global pandemic, but they're back. And so their per share profit of 90 cents is actually really strong. And then the other thing that's happened with Chevron is their refining business has lost money for like the last year. Of course they did because nobody's flying or driving or, you know, needing diesel, but now that's coming back. So the refinery revenue is coming back. And then they were the first super major to actually raise their dividends above the pandemic levels. So Chevron's dividends actually surpassed what they paid out in 2020. So once again, just like with Exxon's story, Chevron's doing really well. They have good cash flow. It's interesting, Russell. You know who reached out to me, I guess about three months ago on LinkedIn was Michael Wirth, which is the CEO of Chevron. And of course, I did not believe the CEO of Chevron was trying to connect me on LinkedIn. And sure enough, it was really him. He likes our shows. I don't know if he listens to this one. Yeah. And it's, please people, we're not buddies. I don't know the guy. I'm very respectful of the fact that he even wanted to connect with me. But just the fact that he did shows how big OGGN is getting. Then the other thing that you don't talk, you don't hear a lot about is Chevron did a really successful job when they took over Noble Energy last year, last fall. Their integrations went very smoothly. They carved out the parts of Noble that wasn't a good fit for Chevron, but they actually increased their ability to produce. And even the people, usually when there's a, an acquisition like that, the acquiring company culture usually remains and the company that's being bought culture gets squashed. And Noble Energy's culture just kind of fit it right in with Chevron. So even that went really well. So you don't hear this a lot, but I give Chevron super street creds for actually making that acquisition flow smoothly during a global pandemic. So, you know, once again, this is great news to see the super majors making money, start hiring people, start projects again. Like I said, we're not out of the hot water yet, but boy, the light is literally like six feet away. Yeah, and it's not the train coming at you. This no, it's not the train coming. It's the light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. Here's some more good news. Here's a company in the news, and it's not quite an Exxon or a Chevron, but Continental Resources ramping up Bakken operations. And How they're cool adding rigs to their Powder River Basin. So that's we always hear about the Permian and, and West Texas and everything, but but this is great news. Yeah. So what they're doing is, and they're doing a coupling. So first thing they're switching from normally, the last couple of years, they've been very gas heavy. Now they're switching back to crude liquids heavy. 70% of their well completions this year will be focused on the Bakken versus 50% last year. 
and they're reorient themselves to focus more on crude, especially heavy oil. And their CEO said this, and you've heard this from me, you know, they see supply, they see demand coming back and they see supply shrinking. That's good for commodity prices. Harold Hamm is, is a, a legend in this industry. When he does something, he usually knows exactly what he's doing and why. Shares of Continental are up, which is awesome. And then the other thing that's really crucial to that part of the U.S. is the Dakota Access Pipeline. And as much as I was scared that I thought that that pipeline was going to get shut down, it's still up and operating, even though it's in court. And as of, say, Monday of this week, I got some information that's looking like they're going to win the court case, which means the Dakota Access Pipeline should stay up and operating, which is the, the main takeaway from the Bakken. So once again, awesome company's doing well. It's picking back up. It's starting to do more projects. It's con- concentrating on crude, which I agree with them. I think that's going to be the moneymaker for the next two, three years. And then the other thing is they just made an acquisition. So anytime you have enough money left over to buy one of your competitors, they picked up Samson Resources. That's a good thing. So just as, once again, this is just great news. We're not out of it yet, but this is just another indicator that the industry is going where it needs to go. Well, here's another one, and you alluded to this earlier, but this headline says increased air travel is beginning to increase U.S. jet fuel consumption. Ah, thank God. This is what we really need. We need the world to start flying again. And it's funny because a couple of metrics that I track, one is this one actually in the U.S. TSA publishes a, a great page on their website where you can see historical information. So basically, how many people flew this day in the U.S. in 2018, 2019, 2020, and now 2021, so you can see what the trends are. And those trends are really important, not just from the consumption of jet fuel, but if you look at the, as we have an increase in business travelers, which is also an increase in jet fuel, the increase in gasoline and diesel follow it. So it's one of the indicators I use when we do our forecasting is I'm looking at air travel. The more air travel is, the more hydrocarbons are used for all fuels, not just jet fuel. And so air travel is picking back up. It's doing really well. The one thing that we need to pay attention to is what's going on in India right now. India's had a huge increase in COVID-19, and they've actually had also in corresponding increase in deaths. And if if they can't get a handle on that and level that out relatively soon, you're not going to see a bunch of business travel back and forth to India. And India is actually one of the hubs of business travel, especially in the oil and gas industry. So, you know, Prayers to all the people in India that are fighting the disease out there. You know, there's hope that the government can help them get a hand on it, which I'm sure they, I'm sure they will. But this is another good sign that you're seeing an increase in air travel around the world, an increase in jet fuel consumption. And Russell, as crazy as this sounds, because most people discounted things picking back up this quickly, I would not be a surprise if there's a shortage of jet fuel. Now, all the airlines hedge that, which means what they pay for, it's not going to change. But they may not be able to get it no matter how much they pay, which would just be a weird place for the airline industry. Yeah, it'd be a weird place for passengers, too, because that's got to increase prices. Absolutely, it's going to increase prices. And we just picked up United Airlines as a sponsor. We can't tell you what they're doing yet, but that just goes to show you that when United Airlines wants to partner with OGGN, things are happening. There you go. Okay, this next item, I probably have to be careful how I characterize this. <laughs> so, so I'm going to let you do it. The Italian Energy Group, is it any? Is that how you say that? Yep, any. The Italian Energy Group, any, to shed retail renewable energy stake. So without reading the article, Russell, why do you think a company the size of any would sell off their renewable energy piece? Well, that's why I said I have to be careful how <laughs> I characterize this. But, you know, especially being in Texas and, and the problems we had in this winter storm and almost losing our electrical grid, you know, because all the windmills, you know, froze up or whatever. I just almost think it's 
poetic justice here. <laughs> so Annie's taking a piece of their retail business and also a large piece of their renewable business and they're, they're putting it up for sale if anybody wants to buy it. And the reason they're doing it, quite frankly, is that- So they can support their oil and gas side. <laughs> yeah. So they actually lost money in this and they lost money at the same time that they quit investing in hydrocarbons. And so now it's smacking them in the butt. You know, we talk about some of the other super majors, even some of the independents doing really well right now. Like their revenue's going up, their margins are going up, their dividends are going up. Unfortunately, not any. They have all the exact opposite happening. So, so for them, cash flow is down, their revenue is down. And what's happening is they've realized that they need to focus their CapEx spending back on hydrocarbons, which is their core business, what they're really, really good at. And so they're shedding parts of their business that they aren't good at, which are the renewables and the retail side. As far as I can tell, nobody has made an offer yet. So you probably can get this, at least the renewable side of the business, probably for pennies on the dollar if you want to go buy it. But they're focused on the hydrocarbon side of the engine. Now, people know hate mail. This has nothing to do with how any feels about renewables or how any feels about their impact to the environment. This is strictly a business decision. You can operate a hydrocarbon recovery company like any or Exxon or, you know, Pioneer, anyway, very environmentally responsible. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so this has nothing to do with their effect on the environment. This is allowing them to focus on their core competencies, which is hydrocarbons. And I would not be surprised if somewhere down the road, they do some joint ventures in the renewable space to help minimize that risk, but they're going to need to do a joint venture with companies that know how to make money there. You know, one of the things that happened is a lot of oil and gas companies basically threw money at renewables without understanding the business. And if you had the opposite happen, it w- you'd have the same negative business results, right? If you had a bunch of solar companies all of a sudden start trying to drill for oil, they're, they're going to be horrible at it compared to Chevron, right? And so it just wouldn't be a part of their core business. So thank you, Russell, for not not making this a political thing because it's so easy to go down here and you want to say, I told you so, but, but neither one of us are going to say that. No, we're not. But since we did mention the severe winter storm in mid-February and related unplanned outages in the Midwest and Gulf Coast regions, this is good news. It says planned refinery outages unlikely to affect U.S. transportation fuel supply, says the EIA. And this is really interesting. You know, I spoke at Phillips 66 I guess this is about a, a month ago. I had a great time. But it's one of the conversations I had with several people there is, you know, what are y'all doing as far as outage, planned outages, turnarounds, right? So in the refinery business, a refinery is never designed to shut down, but you have equipment that wears out or that breaks. And so what you have to do is plan maintenance, which is called a turnaround, where you go in in a large refinery, you shut down units and you do plan maintenance or repair. The thing is, you need a lot of labor, and that labor comes from contractors. So what would have been ideal during 2020 when nobody was buying refined products would be to do your turnarounds because you're not making any money anyway. And when you do a turnaround, the loss of revenue is not – or the cost of the turnaround is not important to you, as important to you as the loss of revenue because while that unit's down, it's not making you know ethanol or – gasoline or diesel or you know something else and that's where you really lose the money and so you, what should have happened is all the refineries and petrochemical plants in the u.s should have done their plan turnarounds in 2020 when they wouldn't have lost m- money however you couldn't get contractors on site because of COVID, so they were stuck in this place where they couldn't make any money with the refinery is ideal time to do maintenance but they couldn't do maintenance so a lot of the refineries just shut down like i said in the beginning of the sentence they're never designed to shut down so just shutting them down causes issues. And so what's happening is as here in the US as COVID-19 
is slowly disappearing. Now the contractors being able to get on site. So now they're starting to do their planned turnarounds, but we have enough refining capacity today since the global demand is not back to where it is that when they do these turnarounds, it should not affect supply, which means it shouldn't affect prices. If you watch what happens every year with gasoline, if you, if you drive, drive a vehicle that runs on gasoline, Typically, you see the price of gasoline go up around March, and that's because all of the refineries switch from their winter blend to their summer blend, right? And then you'll see the price drop at the same time, usually around October when they switch from the summer blend to the winter blend. But you'll also see in about, say, May or June in the U.S., another spike in fuel prices because what's happened is the the refineries are doing turnarounds, which decrease the amount of hydrocarbons, or in this case, gasoline, on the market. So it drives price up a little bit. So none of that should happen this year. All the planned turnarounds are, are should, should happen around when they should. It, it's actually, it's interesting. This could be about a 10-year high for turnarounds. And the shortage is, is interesting as well. There's not enough skilled labor for all of these refineries and petrochemical plants to do the turnarounds near the same time. There's literally, literally not enough welders and pipe fitters and scaffolding builders. So then you have this whole mobile workforce that travels all through North America, both in Canada and the U.S., that does that type of work. Well, that group now is being able, we're able, by using technology, we're able to monitor their COVID-19 infection rate and administer whatever measures we need to do to keep everybody safe. So it's like this weird, perfect storm that's, for this year at least, is going to allow the, the petrochemical plants and the refineries to do turnarounds without affecting their revenue as much and without driving fuel prices up. This will probably never happen again. It's like the perfect turnaround storm. But the good thing is, from as from a you know a retail point of view, you and I aren't going to be paying extra costs for this. And at the same time, there's going to be a lot of work, there's a lot of jobs doing these turnarounds that that didn't exist during 2020. So all those poor guys that couldn't go, you know, be contractor work at you know, the Shell Deer Park Refinery in 2020, now we're going to have a lot of work to do, a lot of overtime. So it's just kind of good for everybody. Well, that's good. And and no gasoline shortages. That's really good. That's really good. You know, you and I are old enough to remember the gasoline lines in the- In the 70s. Yep. Yep. Was, yep. That's not fun. When you're in a car and it's your only form of transportation, you have a young child that may need to go to the doctor, go groceries or whatever, and you're only allowed to buy five gallons of gasoline in a car that gets seven miles a gallon. You know, everybody that's listening that's younger than us, Russell, think I'm crazy when I say that. But that was a reality for man, oh, about six months. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was unbelievable. So as we wind down episode 233, I knew I wasn't going to do this as good as Paige. So I, I was going to try to end with with a little fun talking some oil and gas lingo and i actually had this thing pulled up and then thanks to all our technical difficulties i've lost it now do you have it in front of you yeah this this thing's great if our industry has the funniest acronyms and this is just a group of acronyms which i actually want to kind of test you on russell so i'm kind of glad you don't have it in front of you so if i say a pig in oil and gas what does that mean (laughs) that means a tool that cleans out pipelines very good <laughs> and they and they they actually say i don't know if this is true or not maybe you know but the reason it's called a pig is because before they had the tools to do it that's actually what they used whoa it was a real pig that's what i was told so what i was told and probably neither one of us are right audience if you know the real reason this please let us know what i was told is that when they first start using pigs they use leather washers to seal the pig in the pipeline and they of course they put pressure behind the pig to push it down the pipeline and clean it and the sound of those leather washers coming through the pipeline sound like a pig squealing in the pipeline so that's what i heard i honestly that's, don't have the, 
that's probably that's probably more accurate than 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 my story. Somebody was probably trying to pull my leg on that one. I sort of like please no hate mail from the animal cruelty people, but I sort of think it's funny if it actually really was they would use a pig and push a pig down a pipeline. Well, they don't mind mud and sludge. <laughs> How about this one, Russell? Doghouse. That's on the rig and that's where the driller is, isn't it? Yep. Yep. So here's what I'm scared to ask you. Granny rag. No, that one I don't know. <laughs> it's a type of coating or method of coating a pipeline in the field rather than do it in the factory. All right. Okay. So here's probably the last one. How about holiday? You know, I have heard that before, but I can't pull it off the top of my head. It's a hole in the protective coating of steel pipe. I didn't know that one either. But audience, there's a link in the show notes if you want to go check all this. Okay, well, so here's another one. That you, what about Christmas tree? Well, yeah, everybody knows what a Christmas tree is. That's out at your tank battery sites. That's where the trucks pull up and take the gas and oil out of it. Yeah, so Christmas tree is a bunch of valves that you to control that well, so you're right. Yeah, and then let's do one more. Let's do dope. That's your stuff for pipe connections, isn't it? Yeah, so what did you get? Almost all of them, you missed just one. Yeah, well, you know, I, I've been on a rig a time or two. <laughs> yeah, so people go check this out. Our industry is hilarious. They didn't even get up to like standing up a BOP or nipple up or any of that other stuff in here, but our industry has some great, great acronyms. And speaking of great acronyms, it's time to do the IBM shirt giveaway. People go register for the freaking shirt. We're getting ready to do something really cool. I've seen, the, I got the budget numbers in front of IBM myself personally. We're going to invite everybody that's ever registered for the shirt, food, drinks. We're going to have a great time. And then anybody that wears the shirt that's won, it's going to get something really cool. We give away one a week. So if you register and you don't win, just register again the next week. The link's in the show notes. So just go register. And then Russell, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I didn't ask you to look this up. Did you look up the weekly rig count? I did. And it's as of April the 30th, 2021. And in the U.S., we have uh, 440 rigs and that's up plus two from the previous count. And we're up plus 32 from last year. Moving in the right direction. And Canada is at 51. They're actually down four from the last count. However, they're still up 24 for the year. Yeah. So the drivers in Canada are a little bit different here, but that trend, they should start going up to the drill rigs pretty soon. And then speaking of pretty soon, if you want to find out what we're doing next week, next month, next year, go join the LinkedIn group. Search for OGGN on LinkedIn, LinkedIn page, I should say. And then if you have any interest in working with us a little bit closer, you also can join the street team. Big shout out to Brian Mon. He is doing incredible stuff with that. The street team is our global volunteer list where we ask you to help us mainly with our social media. We ask you for an hour's worth of work a month. And if you can't do that, that's totally cool. But now we have other tiers. So if you just want to be a member of the street team and not do anything, we think that's cool too. So we can do that as well. So check out the street team on LinkedIn, join. And then while you're out there, go to the website. We have all our new shows out there, all our new live streams. And then events are starting to pick back up. So people have been pestering me for this since January, but OGGNs could finally start doing its happy hours again. And Russell, you made a whole bunch of those here in Houston, didn't you? Absolutely. And it's a great time. Oh, probably our first one's going to be in June. Once we stand up the ones here in Houston, we're going to see how that goes. We'll do them every month. If we have good success, then we're going to go back and stand them back up in Pittsburgh and Lafayette, Louisiana and Denver and 
the Bay Area for San Francisco and Calgary and all that stuff. That's going to be a while, but stay tuned. We have a, our first happy hour since the pandemic will be probably June of this year. If you want to know about that event and all the other oil and gas events, we have a, a newsletter we give you for free. The link's in the show notes. You sign up. We take all the oil and gas events that are going on, plus ours, plus the some private invitation-only stuff, plus some maybe discounts or free tickets, and put it in your inbox once a month. And then speaking of air travel picking back up, if you want myself or Russell or any of our other experts to come speak at your event or to do a live podcast, just reach out. It's a lot of fun. Your employees will love it. But now that conferences start picking back up, we're also available to do live podcasts at a conference. And you have never seen a crowd of people show up at your conference like when we do a podcast. Oh, they're they're a lot of fun. I mean, that's really the reason I got into this was to be able to do that. And, and not having been able to do it for the last year has really been disappointing, I guess, is the word to say. So I can't believe I'm going to say it either, but I miss conferences. I miss the cheap food and the bad alcohol and the people. And, (laughs) you know, I just, I want to get back there. So we're getting there slowly, but surely. Russell, a very heartfelt thank you for filling in for Paige. You did an awesome job. Oh, well, thank you for letting me do it. Let me real quick, a little shameless advertising. Since IBM is your sponsor, the next HSE podcast coming up, we actually interview somebody from IBM. So audience, go check out our HSD podcast. Russell does a great job over there. The interesting thing about his HSD show is that it's interesting and fun and exciting. It's not a bunch of people talking about doing check marks. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> he goes deep. So it's awesome. IBM is there. So by all means, audience, go check out our HSD show. Russell does a great job of running that. All right, Russell, it's time to get out of here. So remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for May 2021. This month, we have four events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our online events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the 20 YPO's Networking Mixer at the Houston Club on May 25th. Next, we have our three online events, the Post-Industrial Summit Series from May 4th to June 22nd, the Data Fabric and Data Ops webinar on May 5th, and the Maritime Career Day hosted by Women Offshore on May 21st. Other than these events, OGGN has a live stream this month titled Identifying and Evaluating Advantage Oil Projects on May 5th. So make sure to check that out on our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information. You can also find more information about that or any of the live streams or events we have coming up also on Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for May. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.